0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC.
1: The advice process does have portfolio reviews in it, generally. Um, A good advisor will do a a portfolio review for a client to make certain that, you know, are the the products that they're invested the right ones, are they performing the right way, etc. So it's going to tie into that for the distributor. But for the issuer, they actually have to have information from that portfolio review to determine, is the product still continuing to be performing as it should do?
0: Welcome to the Jersey Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of Jersey Professional Magazine and we have a special edition this year. I think it's the first time that we'd have Carol Ferguson on the podcast for 2021. Hi, Carol. How are you doing?
1: Oh, hi, Kwame. And
2: thank you very much and Happy New Year to everyone.
0: And Naomi Burley. Hi, Naomi. How are you? How is everything I'm, going?
2: I'm good. Happy 2021, everybody.
0: <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about the RG274 design and distribution obligations, but focusing on the distribution side. And before we start recording, we kind of were discussing what are some of the key issues in that distribution side. So Carol, what, what is so critical in the distribution aspect of this conversation?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think the first thing is that When we last talked about the DDO obligations, we just talked about the design component. Now we're just going to talk about the distribution component. And these fall out from the target market determination, which is made in respect of a particular product. So that has to identify the target market, as as you know, but it also has to, to specify the distribution condition so that the issuer has an obligation to ensure that the distribution of the financial product is directed towards consumers who are likely to acquire the product. So if, for instance, you have a product which says you must be employed to to acquire this product, then it's very important that you specify how it is that you're going to ensure that that happens and that you educate the distributing channel about that requirement. Um, And so additionally, both the issuers and the distributors have to take reasonable steps that are likely to result in the distribution being consistent with the TMD so that that then imposes quite a significant burden on both parties in terms of documentation etc so on the issuer it's about training and on the on the distributor it's about how they ensure that their clients actually meet the TMD determination
2: yeah, um, you mentioned when we were chatting, Carol, as well that this kind of uh, raises, in particular, two problems between self um, distributing and and having a third party involved, um, it, particularly because of that entire life of the product governance um, implications. So, um, what what are those particular problems? What's the difference between the two, in terms of compliance well, requirements?
1: If you're a self issuer, you it's. It's a little easier to control the distribution chain for, you know, for unlike has been traditionally the past. You actually has as the issuer have to really take active steps to make certain that the clients actually meet the TMD. So if you are a self issuer, you can impose all sorts of training obligations, etc., for your staff. You can um, put in place scripting in relation to the sale of the product, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So from, some, from a particular perspective, it's actually a little easier if you are the issuer of the product to control your distribution mm-hmm. channel. If however, you're the issuer of the product and it's going to a third party distribution channel, then the obligations are on both the issuer and the distribution channel to make certain that those um, the objectives about the TMD are actually being met. So there are two separate um, groups of documentation. So the issuer has has documentation in relation to who's in the product and then uh, the ongoing um, review arrangements, what's happening in relation to that. But equally, the distributor has the obligation in relation to who's in the product from their perspective, what um, information do they have about the TMD, how that's been implemented within their own workforce and and then their additional feedback to the issue on an ongoing basis about the satisfaction of their clients in relation to the particular product. So going forward for for our members, it's going to mean a lot of additional paperwork and a lot of additional effort to make certain that that information is captured and recorded and kept so that it can feed into the... um, review process, but also is there for regulators should they wish to come and have a look at it. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that, that that touches on one of the points we raised in the last podcast in particular. The onus is on, um, on you to review how it's performing for those customers and to actively do that.
1: Yes. And, look, I mean, it, the advice process does have portfolio reviews in it generally um, a good advisor will do a a portfolio review for a client to make certain that you know are the the products that they're invested the right ones are they performing the right way etc so it's going to tie into that for the distributor but for the issuer they actually have to have information from that portfolio review to determine is the product still continuing to be performing as it should do. Now, often that information flows back to issuers through people redeeming from a particular product. So they get the, the or from um, uh, uh, professional development days where they get feedback from advisors about particular products um, and also complaints. But but it, now it requires them to really get that information from distributors in terms of, of those portfolio analysis days. Um, reviews to make certain that if they are being redeemed from a product, what are the factors that that made that product no longer perform for a particular client? Mm
2: -hmm. So it is a little bit more honest in understanding how it's performed and and constructing a bit more of a sophisticated analysis, would you say? Oh, infinitely more sophisticated. Um, One of the things that happened from the Royal Commission
1: was concern about people being put into products that were the wrong product for them, both in terms of their ongoing performance or you know the complexity of the product etc now under the new DDO and and you know just remembering that these don't come into force until the 5th of October 21 um, but you need to start preparing for it now under the new arrangements you you really need to start to think about how if you're designing a product how is it actually going to work How is it going to work for particular classes of individuals? And how is it that that the the information that you're capturing about that can be taken without actually doing a personal needs analysis for particular clients? So it may be that you're wanting to do additional questioning on the application form, as an example, and that you take that information and feed that into your review process. Because the problem is that the new obligations exclude the personal advice obligations. So if a, if a advisor is doing a KYC prior to doing an SOA, and I apologize for the acronyms, um, it's, that information is incredibly relevant to a review process. And also for the for the um, issuer to understand what's going on. But the issuer can't get the KYC because that's mm-hmm. that's actually been generated for the purposes of personal advice. So it's very important that the issuer devises some methodologies to get that information outside of the personal advice sphere. So that they they need a lot of that information, unfortunately, but you know, and the KYC is the click. Is clearly the way to get it, but if you have an, a non-aligned um, distribution arm, then you'll have no access to that KYC information at all under the privacy rules. Mm. So it's very important that our members um, and you know take the time to really review how it is that they're going to get this information from various distribution channels.
2: So how they're demonstrating that the product's going to the people yes. it's designed for, as well as ongoing. So in their circumstances change, is the onus on the um, issuer to also have an understanding of that?
1: Yes, it is, and that's the, that's the real problem, is how you can understand how a class works, but also how an individual works. So, and, and at the same time, keep the test objective. Um, it's very, this is why um, the personal advice sphere is being kept up because the TMDs are about objective review of, of who should be in a product rather than individual people. But it could be as an example that you know that people who live in a particular area um, have suffering from the effects of cyclones or whatever. And do the products that you sell continue to provide those people with the sorts of, of you know, neat um, Uh, outcomes that they need so you know you might as an example consider you know the insurance provisions for a particular product are they relevant still Mm. and and it's that sort of complexity that is going to be challenging people very much for the future and I think that Naomi and I will be continuing to provide you with updates unfortunately on this at um, closer and after um, implementation.
2: Yes, I, I think the next one will be an interesting one because in our pre, pre-podcast pre chat, and we probably won't get on, onto it, th- this data angle and um, analysis angle seems vitally important, I think, um, to your governance structure around a particular product and how yes. you can demonstrate that you've been consistent with the, the plan for that product. Um, so the software underpinning that will be very, very important and accessing it. As well, yes. as well as being compliant yeah. with privacy. You're right. Yeah. So and, and quite a you big know, intersect here. we're we're sort of
1: getting off the point a little but but it will require people having quite sophisticated data mining um, tools to be able to, to segment their client bases to ensure that the particular clients are not in products that they shouldn't be in. Um, you can't take somebody from a product but what you can do if, if if for instance somebody has to be an employed person in a product if you know that that person isn't employed then it it then is incumbent on you to suggest to them that that may no longer be the right product for them mm-hmm. you can't force them to go out of it but you certainly can suggest and then, and then record
2: to, yes record demonstrate that
1: yes. you have that conversation exactly at the very least. and this is going to be where it's going to be hard and it's going to be a lot of data um, we're not talking about one or two pieces of information about people so this this more or less takes the AML and extends it further so if you look at what you're collecting for AML that's great but you need to, to then move on and think about when you do a TMD is there additional information that you know or you need to know about clients in order to make certain that the right people are in the right products mm-hmm. and then how you educate the distribution force to ensure that they're actually meeting their their obligations to you as issuer by putting the right people into the right products.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's another podcast in this one, Kwame. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So we've come to the end of this one and I think you've already thrown in a bit of um, interesting ideas that members could use. But are they, if we wanted to break it down to some key points for the last few minutes of this podcast, is there any bit of... Um, recommendations, um, if you like, that you would like to make for GRC professionals who are trying to figure out how to get this right by October?
1: Um, Look, I I think that the issues are risk, harm and mitigation. So, first off is what's the likelihood of distribution being inconsistent with the TMD? And the issuer and the distributor have have that um, obligation. What's the harm that can result as a, as a result of somebody um, purchasing a product which is issued other than in accordance with the TMD? And then what steps are you are going to take to eliminate or minimise the likelihood of distribution being inconsistent with the TMD? So as members, you need to undertake that analysis to make certain that when a TMD is being formulated, those three points are front of mind for you. Um, so that you can ensure what's the you know that you and you um, together with the board, of course, have have undertaken an appropriate analysis analysis to make certain that the the wrong person doesn't get into a product which may in fact result in a significant detriment for them. Mm. So if we look at at some of the more complex financial products that that essentially operate as gambling, is it possible that somebody who has a low um, income and a very low amount of savings goes into one of those products and may lose the totality of their savings or more, um, as the you know the the gearing um, effects within the fund the particular fund operates. So that you may put five thousand, but your exposure is actually fifteen. Mm-hmm. And do you have the fifteen thousand in which to pay to pay that additional amount? So that's the the issue about harm. Going forward is going to be a very significant issue and certainly it will require processes to be put in place to engage with individual consumers who may indeed have ended up in the right, in the wrong product.
2: The flip side though, of course, is this is that over time, once it's implemented, collecting all this data can be valuable in designing new products better oh absolutely and and and, yeah. um, and having a real understanding of who your customers are to better meet their needs and and but certainly longer term
1: <laughs> yeah well the other component of it which is really important is if you've got the right people in the right products then it will reduce the amount of complaints that you have hmm. because you've not got people ringing up and saying well hang on a minute, I didn't realize I could lose 15,000 when I invested five right hmm. because you know that's a very clear thing to them that there is a possibility of that happening. It it may mean that they'll still people will still ring up to complain, but whether that goes to AFCAR is another matter entirely.
2: Yep. So
1: it's hopefully going to reduce the amount of complaints that your firm will receive and in fact um, increase the level of trust within the community about your particular products. Because if everyone knows who should be in them and who shouldn't then that actually increases trust yeah yeah definitely it's a Excellent. bit like me buying a Maserati of course I can drive it right <laughs> perfect but if I'm only suited to a bicycle is that necessarily the right thing for me perfect. no it's not a Maserati is but but you know, <laughs> whether that's the right thing for me from a financial perspective i.e. can I afford the insurance, the petrol, the ongoing maintenance, etc, etc, cetera, et cetera, et cetera um, are, and also the new wardrobe that I need to wear whilst I'm driving it. Um, these are factors that need to you know, be taken in relation to that particular um, decision. Equally, if I'm going into a complex product, do I have the um, financial um, literacy to go into it? Do I understand what the pros and cons of that particular product are? And do I actually have the financial worth if I'm going to lose that amount of money um, on a whim product?
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Carol and Naomi. Um, I'm looking forward to having you on the podcast again sometime soon.
2: Yes, yeah, for part two of this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Stay tuned. <laughs> This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.